1: If you would, please pray with me this morning. Oh, the grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let that goodness, like a fetter, bind our wandering hearts to thee. Jesus, our hearts are prone to wander, and Lord, we feel that. They're prone to leave you, the God we love. So this morning, we present our hearts to you and we ask you that you would take and seal them. Jesus, you're incredible and you're wonderful and you're merciful and you're kind and you've given us your word and your word teaches us that it never returns void. So Jesus, this morning we pray that you would bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. And Jesus, this morning I pray that we would not only be preachers of the word and hearers of the word, but we ask your Holy Spirit to do work in us that only you can do, that we may be doers of the word. And in that, the places and spaces that we exist will be infected with the infectious message of the gospel, the message that's able to save, the message that's able to sustain, the message that gives us freedom, the message that gives us hope. Jesus. We pray that you would make us doers of that message. We pray these things in a strong name that's above every name. and that name is Jesus. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. One more time. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. That's a little bit better in right here. All right, we woke up. I see my man with his coffee. Everybody had their coffee. We woke up this morning. Uh, it's always such a deep joy to be among you. I love this place. This, in many ways, is a spiritual home to me. And, I, man, it's just it's so good to be here and to be among you this morning. We do have an assignment, and that is to engage in the sacred practice of preaching the scriptures. So, yeah, by the power of the Holy Ghost, we're going to do that this morning. Amen? Amen? Amen. Before we dive in this morning, I want to just give you guys a little bit of an update on what's happening in our little pocket of Akron, in our little corner that we call Middlebury that we love so deeply. So, around seven years ago, me and a community of about 12 or 13 people stood in the middle of this room, and some of you who were here at that time laid hands on us, and you guys sent us out to be a church, to bring the light and love of Jesus, to be present in a neighborhood in Akron, and prayerfully to see people come to know the goodness and glory that exists in relationship with Jesus. So we set out on that journey, the 12 or 13 of us, and we started meeting in the living room and that group of 12 or 13 of us grew to be about, a group of about 20 over the course of the next year. And on October 30th, 2016, we had a church service. Uh, The church service, there was no toilet paper in the bathrooms, so we had to run across the street to the CVS to grab some toilet paper for the bathrooms to make sure that was cool. There was trash all over the building because us, uh, some folks had joined our group and we had started a community development corporation as well, and in the building we were in, it was really nasty, so we were outside with our trash pickers, like picking up trash right before service started, and we started worshiping. Things were going well. We had multiplied three, four, five fold from them. We had seen baptisms. We had seen people from our neighborhood come to know Jesus. We had seen folks who were homeless and folks who were addicted to drugs come into our midst and we were able to take them to rehab and drop them off at rehab. And now, just a quick report today, my man Brad is back from rehab and Brad's a vibrant part of our community, amen. You can clap for that, all right. Here we go, we got some half claps going on, amen. So things were going really, really well. And then, I don't know if you remember this, but something happened in 2020 that kind of derailed everything for everybody, right? Global pandemic happens, and we're a small church plant in the middle of the city, and we say to ourselves, goodness gracious, what in the world is gonna happen? We stopped gathering for a while, right? Volunteer, force was down, so we stopped gathering. And what ended up happening during that time was our leadership took some time, and we decided we're gonna pray. We're gonna pray and we're gonna ask God how we should continue to be the light and love of Jesus in this season. So during that time, we just stopped and we started listening to a lot of our neighbors. And we actually went to the local elementary school and we decided, hey, the best place to listen to our neighbors is a place where everybody has to engage in for some, for some reason or another. So we started listening to parents in the elementary school and specifically one group of parents who we were listening with One guy looked at us and he said, it takes a village to raise a kid. He said, we've lost our village. We need our village back. And we just kept hearing over and over again that one of the biggest needs of our neighbors was childcare after school. You see, the mean income in our neighborhood is $27,000. Now, $27,000, I don't have that long this morning, but basically, $27,000, when you add in like rent and utilities and other, yeah, rent, they basically spend that on rent because of the slumlords in our neighborhood. And $27,000 is $2,000 more than $25,000, which you have to make $25,000 or less to be on Title 11, which gives you free childcare. So the people in our neighborhood make just enough money to not be able to survive, but too much money to get free childcare, so we decided that we would start an after school program to help care for students and to help out families after school we started that and the first person i told that we were going to do that was pastor brandon here we were having coffee at starbucks and i said hey man i said he always asks me when we sit down tell me how god is moving So I told him, I was like, hey, I think we're gonna do this. Then he followed with the second question he always asked me. He said, tell me how we can help. So I said, man, I don't really know. I said, this is kind of like beyond my pay grade, but I just feel like God wants us to do this. So we're gonna dive in. So yeah, in 2020, 2021, you guys invested deeply during an Easter offering And it allowed us to get a building right there in our neighborhood, It's right in walking distance and proximity to the school. And about a year later, we started an after-school program with 20 kids. And about six months later, we had to add another 13 kids because we have a waiting list that is bigger than the amount of kids that we have in our program right now because the need is so great. Because of the help that you guys have given us, because of the Lord, and because of the help that you guys have given us, Right now, we have 36 kids in our after school program. We serve around 50 to 75 high schoolers on Friday nights in a program called Rec Night. And all of those kids, every single week, are hearing the gospel. Amen. I could tell more stories, but because of your help, we've been able to pray with moms. We've been able to meet basic needs and man we've been able to invite people into our family as a church and what we're literally seeing happening in our neighborhood right now is as we serve families and as we show them jesus we get an opportunity to say jesus to them in ways that they trust and it's absolutely miraculous so as we get started man i just want to say thank you so much thank you so much for your prayers thank you so much for your support. And I just want to let you know that, man, the kingdom of God is at hand in Middlebury. Amen? Amen. Now, the kingdom of God is not just at hand in Middlebury, but the kingdom of God is at hand in Thailand, in Chiang Mai, where my friend Tim Talley is at, who I just talked to this week. And he told me about how the kingdom of God was at hand and how they are fighting to see light come in darkness in so many different ways there. You see, the kingdom of God is at hand in the Dominican Republic where we have multiple missionaries who are doing such great work to see Jesus near people. You see, the kingdom of God, my friends, is at hand on the college campuses where Mike Brown seeks to evangelize with students, another missionary, who we support here, the kingdom of God is at hand in the hospitals that some of you guys work in as nurses, as you guys care for people. The kingdom of God is at hand in your business office, where you exist, the kingdom of God is at hand. Single moms, as you drop off your kids at school, and as you do the laundry, and as you do tasks, that seem menial and insignificant, the kingdom of God is there with you. The kingdom of God is at hand wherever we exist. Wherever we exist. And how do we know that? We know that because the word teaches us that. And what does the word teach us? The word teaches us that the kingdom of God is at hand because at the fullness of time, When humanity needed it most, after God hadn't spoken to humans for over 400 years, at the fullness of time, God in the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, comes down and wraps himself in flesh, and he's born of the Virgin Mary, and he grows up and he lives the life, the perfect life that we couldn't, and he dies the death that we should have died for sinners. Upon himself. He took the sin and punishment that we deserve for our sin upon the cross. And his hands, or his very real hands, are nailed to the cross. And his very real feet are nailed to the cross. And he dies and he is buried. But in that grave today still exists our sin. But guess who doesn't exist in that grave? Praise God, Jesus. Because on the third day he rose from the dead. This is what we believe. This is the guts of the gospel. The fact that there is a tomb in Israel that is empty. And the empty tomb caused a group of 12 dudes who otherwise didn't get it. A group of 12 dudes who deserted Jesus on that last supper when he told them exactly what was going to happen. A group of 12 dudes, some who deserted him, some who ran away. But the reality is they weren't there. This group of 12 individuals, this ragtag, mosh-posh group of people much like us, is going to give their lives because they believe That the Jesus who they served, the Jesus who they followed, rose from the dead. New Testament scholar J.B. Phillips says this. He says the difference between the believers in the New Testament and us today is that today we believe that Jesus died for us. But he says the New Testament believers didn't only believe that Jesus died for them, but they believed that Jesus lived in them. And that changed everything. After Jesus rises from the dead with all power, the text is going to tell us that for the next 40 days he taught the disciples about the kingdom of God. It says that he appeared to his disciples, but he also appeared to 500. This signifying that it wasn't just a message of those 12 guys trying to keep going what they dedicated their lives to, but it says that he appeared to over 500 at once. And then we pick up in the book of Acts And when we pick up there, what happens? Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom of God. Jesus is rolling. Jesus is moving. And then Jesus says, it's time for me to ascend to heaven, to be back with the Father. The disciples at that point still don't quite get it. And the disciples say to him, when are you going to return to restore the kingdom of Israel? Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the day or the time, but he says, check this out. I want you to wait. I want you to go to the upper room, and I'm going to give you power. The Holy Spirit's going to come, and it's going to embolden you. It's going to empower you to be my witnesses. It's going to empower you to speak, to live, to talk about this resurrection, in Judea, in Jerusalem, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. What he's saying to them is, everywhere that we exist, the known world is going to be changed because of the gospel. They go up to the room and they wait. And man, just like Jesus said he would, they are filled with the Holy Spirit. And when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, it says that they leave their homes in the middle of the Jewish feast called Pentecost and they go outside. And the Jewish feast called Pentecost gathered Jews from all over who spoke different languages and they come together for this feast. And these believers filled with the Holy Spirit go down and they begin to speak the message of Jesus at this feast. At this festival, and as they speak the message of Jesus to people who are from different places than them, and people who speak different languages than them, they are able to understand. They are given the gift of tongues, or the gift of languages, and they are speaking the gospel to people in ways that they understand. A little Bible for you this morning. This is a bookend. That we get on the gospel story that literally starts in Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel. At the Tower of Babel, the people are prideful and they try to build a monument to their own pride and to their self. And God literally in that moment confounds their language because God says, if they are unified, what can they accomplish? Then in Acts chapter 2, what we find is their language is come back together in a moment where they're able to understand. And with their unity, they're able to take the gospel to the known world. Praise God. This leads us to our passage this morning. Our passage this morning in our series about a firm foundation and building our lives and our homes on the solid rock, the solid foundation, finds us here. It finds us in discourse this morning about what it means for us as families, what it means for us, as people, what it means for us as a community to be family with those outside of our household, for us to care about those outside of our household, for us to minister to those outside of our household. And the only place we can look to that is the scriptures this morning. So if you have your Bibles with me and or electronic devices, would you turn with me or scroll with me to Acts chapter two We're going to look at Acts chapter 2, and we're going to read verses 42 through 47 this morning of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47 of Acts chapter 2. When you get that, if you're able, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? word of the Lord. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. One more time, the text. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done to the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with gladness and with with generous hearts. Praising God and having favor, with all people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. This is God's word, and this is true. You may be seated. Acts 2, chapter, Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. Now, I went to a Christian college right down the road here, called Malone, And one of the verses that was often talked about it was on T-shirts. Some people had it printed on mugs. This verse at the college I went to was a huge verse. Why? Because when people talked about this theoretical idea of community, right, this idea of community, we talked about it a lot. It was like community, right, community. You often talk about this verse. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Anybody else here go to a Christian college, you probably talked about community a lot, right? Get some heads nodding, probably talked about community a lot. And this verse was probably like printed on a t-shirt with your floor or your dorm on it, or something of that nature. It was surely printed on mine when I lived in Heritage at Malone University. Slash, smack dab on the back, right? Now, here's the thing. Cool, right? Community, awesome. Fellowship, awesome. Togetherness, awesome. Wonderful, but this text might be talking about a little more than like having a Bible study with some coffee in the dorm room, right? I don't know if you heard it, I read it twice so you could hear it, but this text might be pointing us at something a little bit more than men's breakfast. I like men's breakfast, praise God. Back when I was on staff here, my favorite day was the day after men's breakfast, because they have those extra breakfast sandwiches in the fridge, in the FLC back there, and I will go heat them up and eat about four. Thank you, Jesus. I love a men's breakfast, right? But I think this text might be pointing to something a little bit more. I think this text might be pointing to something a little bit deeper. You see, this is a text that's often talked about, but it's rarely walked about. You see, the reality of this text is it's a difficult text for us to interpret. It's a difficult one for us to really wrap our minds around, to wrap our hearts around, and to surely wrap our hands around. You see, for centuries, interpreters, theologians, pastors, and simply Bible readers have been trying to figure out really what to do with this text. You see, when you interpret texts like this, especially narrative that we find in the New Testament, we ask first, this question, is the text descriptive or is the text prescriptive, right? Is it descriptive or is it prescriptive? Now, if the text is descriptive, that means that the text is describing historically what happened amongst the people of God, but that thing that it's describing may be captured in the culture of that day. It may not be something that we should follow today. It may not be something that is exactly instructive to how we live life in the 21st century, but as we read this, this text is good for us because it's describing what happened and it's giving us a historical basis as to how Christianity started. But if you read the text, if you keep reading it, folks who say it's descriptive are gonna say that there are gonna be other texts that are gonna pop up in the New Testament that are gonna instruct us in deeper ways. And that God is now doing something different. There's revelation that's progressive. And that text later on are gonna teach us to do something else, descriptive. It's describing what happened. Now, there's gonna be another camp of folks or another camp of interpreters who are gonna say, maybe it's prescriptive, right? Maybe it's prescriptive. I don't know what it is with the northeast, I love Northeast Ohio. Northeast Ohio to me is, you know, how Jean Valjean looks at Paris. That caught some people. The way that he looks at Paris is, I love Northeast Ohio. I love it, browns and all. <laughs> right, but I just keep getting sinus infections. It's been a rough like, winter for me. So every time I feel like the sinus infection is coming on, my brother goes to the doctor, and my doctor, he just say the same thing. He's like, oh, you got a sinus infection. Let me look. And he gives me a prescription, right? I go get some amoxicillin. I'm Gucci. I'm good in about, about six, seven days, right? The prescription he's giving me is something for me to take, and it's something to make me feel better. The prescription he's giving me is instructive, right? I'm supposed to go and do something, on the other side of me receiving that little piece of paper or that prescription that he's giving me. Other folks are gonna read texts like this and they're gonna say, these texts are prescriptive. These texts are exactly how we should live out our life as Christians in the world today. Now, when we read texts like this, it becomes very easy for us to say, this text is descriptive right? It'd be easy to do that, right? You read it and you say, okay, Uh, they centered themselves, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Cool. I got my Bible study. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. I like other Christians. I like our small group. I can devote myself to that on a weekly or bi-weekly basis. The breaking of bread Okay, we're going to have communion today. I can do that, like, once a month, right? The prayers, I'm figuring it out. I pray over my food. I'm good with that. But then this text goes on, and this text says some pretty difficult things. It goes on to say, day by day, they attended the temple every day. It said they sold their possessions and they gave to those who had need. Yikes! (laughs) And last but certainly not least, it says that they had all things in common. It says that they had all things in common. We can say amen to that right now because it's not an election season. (laughs) But it says that they had all things in common. I don't know about you, but me and my staff team can barely agree on where to go get coffee at. (laughs) It says that they had all things in common. And it says that the Lord added to their number daily those who were to be saved. The question we have to ask is, is this text prescriptive or is this text descriptive? Now, much to my professor's chagrin, I'm going to break the rules here, right? This morning, I want to contend to you that I don't think this text is purely descriptive and I don't think this text is purely prescriptive. I think this text is a little bit of both. I think it's a little bit of both. I think this text is descriptive in the sense that it absolutely describes what happened when the Holy Spirit fell on the original disciples of Jesus at Pentecost. I think it describes very well exactly what they did. I think their culture influences exactly what they did. I think their time, I think their age, I think everything is gonna impact and influence exactly what they did in that moment but church i don't want to let us off the hook this morning i believe that this passage is prescriptive as well and i believe it's prescriptive in the sense that what we find in the flow of this passage is not only how jesus lives his life But what we find in the flow of this passage is how the apostles lived their life and how the first church lived their life and how the church in Ephesus and Philippi and Colossae all lived their lives. How Christians throughout church history have lived their lives and how we should live our lives today. And what do we find in the flow of this text? Here's what we find in the flow of this text. What we find is this. We find two I believe, countercultural and radical statements that should cause us to pause. And those two countercultural and radical statements are this. At the top of this text, it's going to say that they devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to breaking of the bread, and to prayers. They devoted themselves to spiritual practices or spiritual discipline. It didn't say that they put it on their calendar when it made sense. It doesn't say that in certain seasons they went to men's Bible study. It didn't say that when my kids don't have soccer practice in this intense season, I'm gonna put them back in youth group, amen Austin, amen. (laughs) What it says is they devoted themselves to these spiritual practices. They devoted themselves to these spiritual practices. And what happens when we devote ourselves to spiritual practices is those practices begin to cultivate in us a way of being. It begins to cultivate in us a way of being. Alongside pastoring, I teach at a Christian high school in Cuyahoga Falls, and at this high school, I often have students ask me questions, big meta-theoretical questions, like I know the answer. But I do my best to try to guide them anyway. So a few weeks ago, a student comes in, and the student says, hey, I listened to your lecture, and I love when they do this. They pick out like one little thing, and they take it out of the context. But he's like, I was listening to your lecture, and you said in the lecture, that the goal or the telos of the Christian life is to become a person of love in Christ Jesus. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, what does that mean? And I go, well, Deuteronomy chapter six, verse four, says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I looked at him and I said, in the New Testament, when Jesus is asked to sum up the law, Jesus says the law can be summed up in this. He goes back and he quotes this. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. So with this, if Jesus is saying that this is the goal or the telos of the law, and Jesus says he didn't come to abolish the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And if we're Christians as people who should live and look and love like Jesus, then the goal for us of the Christian life is to become, constantly be becoming people of love in Christ Jesus. I told him we only do that. That only happens when we're devoted to cultivating spiritual practices in our life. We cannot become people of love in Christ Jesus if we don't pray. It's impossible. Because what prayer does, what I'm learning, is prayer is less about me asking God for things, and prayer is more about God reorienting me into the kind of person that he desires me to be. As I pray the Lord's Prayer, I've been doing it really slowly when I wake up in the morning, at lunch, before I go to bed at night. And as I've been doing it, I do it with my daughter at night, and she's in the question-asking phase of her life. Everything we do is followed by, what does that mean? So when we pray at night, she asked me, she said, what, what is temptation? And I began to explain to her, as we're laying in her bed, what temptation is. And as I, before I go to bed, pray it again, man, I stop and I say, God, lead lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from evil. Our Father, right? A polemic against radical individualism. Not just my Father, but our Father, who is in heaven. Holy, hollow is your name. As we pray, as Jesus taught us to pray, It begins to change us. As we read the scripture that is inspired by God, something happens when you read the scripture. Something happens when you read the scripture. It's God's word and it's true. Something happens when you're in fellowship together. Something happens. All right? They devote themselves to these practices. And what is birthed out of them devoting themselves to those practices is radical demonstration of the Holy Spirit through them. Radical demonstration of the Holy Spirit through them. What else could make humans sell everything that they have? I've got news for you. I read quite a bit of stuff about first century Christians. It's kind of just my thing. I I just read about it, right? They were not more spiritual than you were. As a matter of fact, the empire that they were in, the Roman Empire, I would argue they may have been a little less open to spiritual things than than, than we are. Probably in some senses a lot less. What makes people want to sell everything that they have? and devoted to the people around them. It's those spiritual practices. If we want to truly care about the people, about the people who are in our lives and around us, it must start with those spiritual practices. Jesus, in Luke chapter 10, takes the 72, and he sends out the 72, right? You guys know the text, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Go, therefore, and pray to the Lord of the harvest, right, that he may send laborers. The trick is that the laborers that he's sending is them. So he sends them out. He says, I send you out as lambs amongst wolves, right? Then he teaches them what to do when he sends them out. He says, if you go to someone's house and they accept you, peace be to them, and their peace will stay on you, and I want you to stay there. And then he says after that, hey, if they don't, dust your shoes off and keep going. They come back and they have these stories of what Jesus has done. They say to Jesus, we've seen Satan falling like lightning. Imagine that. Imagine going and being a part of the mission of Jesus to a point where you see the works of Satan falling like lightning around you. Imagine that. Bless Jesus. Jesus looks back at them and Jesus says rejoice not that you've seen Satan falling like lightning but rejoice that your names are written in the book of life in this passage what Jesus is saying to them is you will get to the work you will do the work but what's most important is your relationship What's most important is that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that you're living out of being the beloved of God, not out of what you do. When we do that, we find ourselves in the natural flow and the natural progression of this text. When we practice the presence of God, the natural byproduct of that is mission. Mission is from the cultivation of spiritual practices in our lives. My dear friend, who's going to be with Jesus, his office used to be over there. He said to me once, I'm talking about mission to him. I was talking to him about us starting citizens and what we plan to do. And he looked at me and he said, To be on mission is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And I was like, All right. I was like, Great. We wanted to see the works of Satan fall. I was like, that's great. I wish he was here for me to tell him, I get it. I get it. What it means to love the people around us is to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the gift, the supernatural gift that the Holy Spirit gave these believers as we close with today He gave them the gifts, right? They're out there speaking in other languages and people are understanding gifts. It says that by the hands of the apostles, signs and wonders were done. The miraculous was done. Miracles. But guess what? All miracles are great, but the resurrection is the miracle. Because the reality is, even though Jesus raised Lazarus, guess what happened to Lazarus? Even though by the apostles' hands, The blind beggar in the next chapter is going to get healed. What happened to the blind beggar? The resurrection is the miracle, my friends. And the supernatural gift, the true gift that the apostles are given here, that these Christians are given here, is the gift to be present. The gift to be intentional. It says that daily they devoted themselves to these practices. Daily they devoted themselves to these practices. So this morning, when you walked in, you got a bookmark that looks like this, right? On this bookmark, there are three empty slots. There are three empty slots I don't know about you but sometimes I need to be prompted towards intentionality I need to be prompted towards what that means I've laminated on this card that I have in my bible all the time prayers that I've been praying for five years now I've seen God do one of them praise God I need to get a new card because I've seen God do one of them I wanna challenge you guys. Before we dive into strategy around what it means to love our neighbors, which all that stuff is great. If you wanna talk about that, I love, to, I love to talk about that more than anything, even more than the Browns, which I love a lot. But I wanna challenge you this morning. Who are the names of two or three people who are in your life who don't know Jesus? Would you commit to praying for them daily to know Jesus? Who's one of your coworkers? Students, someone you may go to school with, students, someone who may be in your family, students, people you know who just don't know Jesus. What are the names of your neighbors? Do they know Jesus? What is an issue that you see happening around you that you wish Jesus would fix or that you wish Jesus would change? It's right in proximity to you. I challenge you. Would you write that down? And would you intentionally pray for that daily? Would you devote yourself to daily praying for that? And together we'll pray in faith and in confidence that God will do exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever ask or think amen
0: thank you for listening to this episode of the north canton chapel podcast if this ministry has blessed you in any way please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media if you subscribe and leave a five-star review